Michelle Spencer, my today's guest, she's a beautiful example that is showing that it's never too late, that you can always find the most authentic way to live your life at any age, at any moment of your life. You are listening to the podcast Spirituality in Business, and I'm your host, Judyta Jaworska. Hi, Michelle, my beautiful friend. Hello. <laughs> we can be honest here. This is our second time when we are recording. Uh, I loved the first run, uh, but we decided let's do it again. So, uh, and to be honest, I feel even more kind of comfortable because I've been in this situation already, like having you in my podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do you feel today? Do you feel more kind of relaxed because you know what can happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're doing it again because there were so many things I didn't know if I could say or not say. So, <laughs> And then you say to be, be honest. Yeah. So it takes time, I think, to be honest. Yeah, it, Honesty doesn't just come out straight away. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, with me anyway, it seems to... Take a few seconds to fully understand the question in order to be fully engaged in answering it. And then you think, okay, do I say that or should I just keep what? quiet? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what did they say? What are the consequences? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what is honesty? It feels true at the time. And later on, you think, oh, now I was just showing off. That wasn't really what I was feeling at all. So, yeah, I try and be fully honest. Great. So thank you again uh, for being here, for creating with me this beautiful uh, space of spirituality in business where I invite women, where I really feel we can feel inspired by the story. And I definitely can say that your story can be also very inspiring. So let me start with the same question as I started last time. Let's see how you answer this time. <laughs> Exam starts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sure, that was my intention. So yeah, okay. Michelle, let's please let introduce yourself because no one yet knows you. So if you could tell us who you are, how can we, you know, if we can get to know you a little bit, who is Michelle? Who is Michelle? Yeah. <laughs> so my name is Michelle and I'm female. And we got to know each other just after my separation from my mm. husband. Yeah. So I think yeah. I get to know you where you kind of started completely new chapter of your life. And, and was, you became a really... different person, right? Yeah, I became my teenage self again, but with yeah. a bit more experience. That's why we connected so much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So who? Who? So when I'm. So we we'll say who I am is from really when I met you, which is a recovering, emotionally recovering from a very distressing breakup of 27 years of marriage, um, with three children I adored and a lifestyle I adored, and finding myself um, inadequate to the task of beginning again uh, in my early 50s with a salary less than my youngest child straight out of university. So it was a huge task, or for any woman really, who sacrificed a career for bringing up children, prioritised children. 
I had always kept working. So who I am is a survivor, hmm. a happy person. Happy. I wanted to ask you if you're a happy survivor. Happy. So I'm happy. Uh, I'm single but living with someone I love very much. I'm learning to let go of um, the priorities I had before, which were very influenced by um, being married to someone quite well off and quite important and a family quite well established and high high in society standing. Mm-hmm. I had a sense statue which filled a gap of you know feeling like I wasn't anything very special. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the packaging went in my early 50s and I was literally back to being the person I felt like I was back being as lost as I was when I was 23, finishing university and this kind of thing. And so 10 years on from that, I feel like I'm just reaching a beginning of maturity, but I'm actually 61. Yeah, so. this, this is important to say here. Like, <laughs> I still see you as a very young woman, but I just want to send this message. message. It's never too late, right? You're the perfect example. You can always start fresh. And, and be happy again. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well summarized. You can always start again, even though it seems too difficult. Mm. And you can be happy again. How, you can. How, how did you manage that? How did you find your way? Because now you can say, yes, now I am myself finally at your 60s. Yeah. But for many years, you lived life of someone else in order to feel yourself, but you never did, right? I guess this is your yeah. perception as well. So yes. what is... Um, yeah. Uh, well, Go ahead. I mean, any long marriage is adapting to be happy. You've got to compromise yourself. That I yeah. unconsciously compromise too much. So I take full responsibility that little by little, things that were really important to me, um, like being spontaneous, and mm. traveling and meeting people and taking time and not being in a rush and spending time with the kids and not being overly ambitious all the and having real relationships not dinner party relationships little by little I got sucked in through compromising my own values which of course I married really young so I didn't really know my values and then as I was compromising and I felt uncomfortable in myself I realized that wasn't quite me, but I was stuck. So I had, I mean, a stupid example is I've never been a great cook, but I was in this dinner party circuit of, of six couples that we regularly cooked for each other. And when it came to my turn, I literally was having panic attacks. And in the end, <laughs> in the end I, I, I came clean to this group of friends and said, look, you know, this is a nightmare for me. I don't want to be excluded from this friendship group, but I just, I'm not the person that can cook for you. And my husband doesn't cook. Um, so can I look after your children and do something? Anyway, they dropped. <laughs> they dropped like me. <laughs> they dropped me from the dinner party group. I was rejected. That I, I had they dropped you, really? They dropped me. Oh, my God. I was out. I was ejected. Ejected and rejected. So I, I was just kind of trapping myself through lack of and really understanding myself and compromising too much to fit in with my husband. I was trapping myself increasingly in situations where I was 
so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then that's when, well, I joke about panic attacks, but that's exactly why my panic attacks um, started because I was just in situations where I wasn't feeling comfortable too often. Yeah, not uh, yourself. I can't remember right? your question, actually. What mm -hmm. was your question? <laughs> you I was, wanted to, uh, to tell us who you are, but you just told us your story. Perfect. Oh, true. <laughs> your story makes you as well, right? Somehow. <laughs> and yeah, but the, the second question I wanted to ask, because as everyone can imagine, my podcast name is Spirituality in Business. So with the uh, to, to emphasize the word spirituality. But when we met, Myself, even, I was not yet in the spirituality. I even didn't know that something like that existed. But the more I involve myself in it, the, the more I develop my consciousness, the more I feel how you are, how much you are connected with yourself, with your consciousness. But I wanted to ask you, because you never told me, hey, Yudita, hey, Yudita I'm a spirit guide. You never told me this. So I'm, I'm really curious what do you believe in or how do you, you know, direct yourself within your life now after this chapter of your life when you, now you know you never were connected, you were never living like you wanted. Now you do, but how did you get here? Do you believe in something or you listen to something or maybe yourself? How do you manage that? How do you navigate yourself? Gosh, that's like six questions. Okay, <laughs> so what do you believe in? Let, let's make it simple. What do you believe in? Or maybe nothing. Uh, uh, what do I believe in? But despite having said I was constantly uh, compromising myself, uh, what I believed in, in other words, I'm sorry, I can never answer a question simply. I always well, think go ahead. Just to but belief, belief is the word, belief is the words we put on our spirituality. Mm. Would we agree on that? If you're explaining what you believe, you have to use words. Yeah, so maybe you can say, what do you feel, so, right? I did prepare the answer to this question, and it, with my advancing years, I've already forgotten what I prepared. But anyway, the the the, 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 the I'm essence. sure you know the truth because it's with you, right? <laughs> if I can pick up on what I was um, uh, experiencing when I met you, is over the years from when I was a child through my teenage years, through my young adulthood, having babies, meeting people. Um, uh, employing, I'm just thinking then of a plumber who confessed to me he was beating his wife and he got down on his knees. <laughs> I was employing a plumber in the house and he was always on his knees confessing to me. These really? kind of uh, moments where someone is very vulnerable in front of you or in front of me, they have always been part of my life. Mm. I can't explain that. But when I've tried to explain in answer to your question, what do you believe, the way I would put words on those experiences would change according to whether I was in an even evangelical church, going to Catholic mass, uh, pissed off with the church completely and not going to church. 
the vocabulary around these experiences changes, but what I have sensed over the years is the planet is sensitive. It's almost as if we humans, we're very lucky and privileged to be part of the trees and the soil and the water and the birds and the micro life. We make up something together, including the soil and the inside of the planet, that's sensitive and it feels. And without sounding completely crazy, I do sometimes feel, I'm going to cry, the emotions of people or the planet or the ground or something. Mm. It's like that plumber who who some suddenly got down on his knees, I wasn't surprised because I was sensing something as he walked in with all his tools and everything. I could already feel... I could already feel his pain and shame as he walked through the door. Mm. I could feel it as he walked in. I could feel it when he put his bag of tools down, he wanted to get rid of something much deeper than that. So the experience of sensing something about someone or knowing something sometimes can just pass by or the planet helps the other person to say this this is your moment uh, if that makes sense this is yeah, your moment totally. this is be vulnerable because you're in front of someone who's already prepared wow i could never think of better answer like not better like the way you explained it it's so unique and it's so beautiful uh, and it's, um, I have a feeling that it's even difficult to put words in it. So you, you, you describe it in such a beautiful way. Uh, wow. Well, I, 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 it's something that's always been there because this, for this interview, as we, as you said, it's the second one. So it's made me think how long have I, what's my earliest memories of those kinds of experiences mm. and maybe we'll touch on what happened between you and me but honestly they've pretty much always been there and it can make for very uncomfortable relationships because sometimes someone I just meet someone and, they'll, they'll and you say, know so much about that person right or right away and I mean, an example of that would be I walked into a florist recently to buy some flowers for a mutual friend with a, a, a friend of mine. It was two of us buying for a mutual friend of ours. And as I walked in, I just sensed the anger and bitterness of this florist, this man. And I said to my friend, Cody, we've got to get out. This man is, he'd probably shoot us or something. He's so angry. And he burst out laughing. And he said, Michelle, we're just buying flowers. Calm down. You know, but I yeah. walked in to his energy and I just wanted to get out because I just knew nothing good could come of this experience. Wow, this is so amazing. <laughs> this is something you have it naturally because myself, yeah. I can uh, resonate what you feel. Like I can tell you that more and more it happens to me that 
right after I am in some uh, with pres- uh, I am you know with someone in the room, I can very quickly feel the energy of the person or intention of the person. However, it grows, it increases uh, together with my um, with uh, my spiritual journey. So working on developing my consciousness of getting to know myself, of getting to know emotions, each of them, the good ones, the easy ones, and the difficult ones. So the more I feel myself, I connect with myself, the more I feel the nature, the more I feel others, the more I feel energy. So this is something that, you know, I'm experiencing among my path of learning to live again, if I can say this way, since I'm 30. But for you, this is something you always had within you. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think I needed it to survive and navigate a very difficult childhood. Mm. And I had a knack of knowing where I would be safe. Mm. So um, I wouldn't wish anyone to have an insecure and fragile childhood, but if you do have one and you don't know where your security is coming from you don't know where who loves you if they love you and the people caring for you don't like you or don't love you you need some extra instinct to get through that you need to know where you can go to get fed where you can go to have get a hug it's a safe hug uh, you, you're uh, naturally going into the next question because you say you have it from the childhood, and um, we, as a as a babies, as a young kids, we have lots of intuition. It's you can for sure uh, observe that kids are very uh, quickly to say the truth, to express themselves because they intuitively very quickly to recognize right the, who they like, who they, who they don't like, for example. But among our uh, life, we tend to lose it because of the external expectations because of external truths or programs, etc., etc. But somehow you manage to keep it within yourself. I, I like to say that you doesn't matter your age, now you're at your 60s, you still have this inner joy, inner intuition, this this you know this this very um first of yours and you never lost it. And I was wondering how did you manage that to to keep having it? Hmm. Well, I think I had lost it a bit. Okay. But not since I've known you. All <laughs> oh, right. So yeah. that's why that's why I'm not um, aware of it. Or maybe, <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe not, because I always love playing with my kids and playing with the kids' friends and just playing. Mm. How I've managed to keep it. Honestly, it's a bit deep, but I think it's because I believe the planet's a safe place. It, mm. It's a sensitive, we're on a sensitive soil. Everything is finely balanced, but the energy is good. I don't think, even when things go wrong, I always think there's a room for happiness because something will work out. Mm. And I don't mean to be fatalistic and passive. I don't mean that at all. I mean, 
I mean, I, I, I'll give an, a personal example of how I keep my joy. I came over shortly after separating to help my slightly Asperger husband. Uh, that's on the autistic scale. He always, I always helped him every year with his lines for the play, his play, because he used to be in amateur dramatics in our village. Mm-hmm. And after we separated, I said to him, you're going to be all right this year. Do you want me to drive over from France and hear your words for the play? And he said, mm-hmm. oh, yes, let's do that. I'll meet you in, I think it's called the, the Carpenter's Arms or the name of the pub. I've forgotten the name of the pub. It was in Chillingston. I'll meet you at seven o'clock as if I lived down the road. So I had nowhere to stay. I had to drive six hours from my our holiday house in France to Calais. <laughs> I had no one to look after the Labrador dog. So I put him in the car and I found myself thinking, Michelle, you're absolutely, you know, why are you doing this? Because I still loved him. Because I wanted to show our grown-up children that we cared for each other. Mm. It was well-intentioned, but honestly, very stupid. So then I drove from the ferry in Dover to Kent, and I arrived about 10 minutes late, and it was snowing, and it was winter, and I hadn't eaten, and I'd been driving and traveling all day. And I walked into the pub. He looked at his watch. He said, we've only got 20 minutes left, so here's the script. And he handed me the script. I hadn't had anything to eat, nothing to drink. I heard him say his words. He got up and left. He didn't buy me a drink. Now, I'm not saying this because he was hostile to me. This is the Asperger autistic mm-hmm. side of him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there for a social occasion. He was there to learn his words. And I sat there in shock. In fact, I was actually shaking because I was thinking, can I swear? Yeah, sure. Let's be natural. Fuck. You're such an idiot, Michelle. What did you expect? You know who he is. You know why you couldn't stay with him anymore. What were you expecting? And Mm -hmm. I I was shaking and feeling, I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. I haven't thought this through. You know, I was still under his spell of trying to make everything okay for him mm-hmm. and why I keep my joy is because I sat still I started to laugh <laughs> <laughs> I just started to laugh it was so ridiculous the situation I was in I was 51 and I'd, had I learned anything in my life I was, you know nowhere to sleep dog in the car hadn't eaten he blocked my bank accounts because he was scared about money I had no money to buy a drink I had very little money on me and as I was laughing this man came over to me on another table he tapped me on the back and he said first of all we'd like to buy you a glass of wine then we'd like to buy you supper and in return we'd like to hear your story oh my god (laughs) Uh, I I just felt this war on my heart right now (laughs) he said we're completely fascinated and please, can we buy you for the evening? I said, oh, I'm absolutely starving. Can I have two glasses of wine? <laughs> and we spent the whole evening laughing and drinking. And they sorted me out with accommodation. I mean, we just laughed and joked. And that's the benevolence, is that the right word? The generosity, the kindness of strangers or 
other people tapping in to what you need if you stay still and don't panic. Yeah, because you didn't stay in the drama, so then more drama would arrive. You decided, you took a decision, right, to laugh about it because there was nothing else to do. It happened. Yeah. So because you started to go into the joyful part of it, even though it was practically impossible, then more joy arrived. The sense of an absurd situation just makes me laugh, even if, obviously not if you're in danger, but I wasn't in danger. I would, you know, I'd sort it out somehow. I was just vulnerable and stupid. (laughs) This is life. Come on, we will never be perfect. And what perfect would even mean, right? So if you can laugh, let's just laugh. It's never a bad situation. Yeah, exactly. You can always reverse it. (laughs) (laughs) and and this element of just not panicking you know just being still Mm. be all right gosh yeah something will work yes that leads us naturally to again another question maybe based on that story as well how do you make decisions in your life now how do you decide what do you want to do? Well, that was a stupid decision. So, <laughs> yeah, so did, did you take any conclusions? <laughs> um, yeah, because that was a decision based on being a li- uh, an adult life of being in uh, kind of under the power of someone else or overly overbearing or anyway uh, since then I've thanks to that experience I've made better decisions hopefully (laughs) so how do I make decisions I try not to make the same mistake twice Mm. that's something I've promised to myself okay Michelle that was a mistake but let's not make it again (laughs) so let's try and learn from that so what have you learned Okay, what have you learned about that? You wanted him to like you and respect you and say nice things about you to your kids. So you have learned that that needs to come from somewhere else, like myself. Don't try and get that from someone else. So that's what I learned from that. But obviously I'm going to make another mistake. So hopefully when I make decisions, I try not to make the same mistake again. And I suppose latterly, the last few years, I've learned to make a decision and then sleep on it. Mm. Don't rush into executing it. So getting to the point when you feel calm about it, right? Not too excited, not scared, but rather, okay, I feel good with it, right? Other people are pushing me. Mm. I'm considering selling uh, something at the moment, and I'm getting several emails a day. Wow. I'm pushed about it. So to distance myself from their panic and so on and just, you know, take a few days for myself not to rush. I think I used to make snap decisions, which possibly were good or mostly good, but the timing was wrong. I was often in advance of what emotionally I could deal with. To the point, maybe I was two years in advance 
I had a great idea to start a bed and breakfast. That was a great idea. I made a, enough money to live off it in France. I made enough money to pay for my two girls through their masters at university. Wow! I started, yeah, but I started it with no electricity in most of the house and the bathroom not running. It was too soon. I had a good idea, but I didn't wasn't patient enough to mm. put it in place properly. Wow. And if we could get back one more time to this uh, great example of yours that you had to start fresh at your 50s, we can, one can always argue when it's late, when it's not late, when you're young, when you're yet not young. This is relevant, right? Mm, but how do you find strength or certain power, certain energy, certain kind of uh, decision to start again and to, to do it this time differently, right? Because, you know, many people get divorced at their 50s, but for example, some of them, they just feel like, okay, uh, my marriage is over, I'm lost, I, uh, I, I lost because divorce, that is um, equal to, to, to lost, to, to lose something. Um, so now I sit in the push chair, uh, in the push chair, no, in the chair, <laughs> not in the push chair. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just realized what that what I said. <laughs> yeah, with a baby or a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> yeah, so you could stay in the country where you were. You could keep your job that you had. You could, I don't know. You know, you just could stay where you were, right? And continue your life, but just without your ex-husband next to you. So I guess that could be quite similar, just with no partner. But you made your life completely different. So how do you do it? What, what leads you? Hmm. Well, how I did it initially was try and stay in England, but because um, there was a cash flow issue uh, with my husband panicking over, he wanted the divorce, I didn't, and he wanted me out of the picture as soon as possible. He shut bank accounts, I didn't have money. I turned to help to people who were not good for me. Mm. And so... I actually got into a worse state by turning inappropriate relationships with men, you know, slept with some silly young guy who promised me to look after me. I don't know what I was thinking of, but... You, you lived get... the life you never had when you were young, maybe. Well, maybe. I was, right? just, <laughs> I was still in this. Someone's got to rescue me because I can't sort my mess out. So I made that big mistake. So it, that summary is I made mistakes until I realized, I mean, realized very painfully that I had to rely on myself. I, I honestly, due to, to that, it took me at least two years to realize that. Because mm -hmm. I asked my mom if I could stay with her and she said no. I asked my sister if I could stay with her and she said no, I don't want any more contact with you. I asked my best friend if I could stay with her and her husband tried to rape me in the mm -hmm. house. And she, yeah, oh my God. She, yeah, she kicked me out and refused any more contact with me. I had a very rough time 
of turning to people who I trusted completely, completely women, mother, sister, and best friend. And I literally had doors closed on me. So then it's this painful, I think it could kill you that, actually. I think I could easily, I'm laughing now, but Mm. could easily have gone completely under. The final straw being my best friend. But fortunately, I'm here to tell the story of learning to start to trust myself. Mm. Isn't this, because this is not the first time and I experienced this myself, that the most important moments, the moments where we finally know that the only way to be happy is to learn it within ourselves, to turn the attention within us, within our heart, however you want to call it, is in the moment when within your external life, you achieve to the certain age, to the certain point, when something must change, otherwise you literally could die, I could say even this way, right? Because you learn that from the external world, everything what could go wrong really went wrong. So it, that was kind of normal option in the external world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was um, like a tumbling down of skittles. And I, I added to that, so this is not really answering your question on how I got myself together, but how I was forced to get myself together, how I was forced to. Mm. I mean, I was brought to a point where I had no other choice. I mean, I had the pills in front of me mm. and I had alcohol there. And I was like, unless... So you still had a choice. You could go down or <laughs> find I another still... way. Yeah, you yeah. could start drinking. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I thought to myself, what's the lesser of the options for my children? Mm. Now, at that very, very low point, suicide, alcoholism, or inappropriate sex, what's the least worse for my kids? I still mm. wasn't thinking what is the best for me. Mm, okay. Them, I was still thinking, okay, suicide's not an option because my father committed suicide, so I know the damage. That's not an option. Inappropriate sex is definitely an option because they'll never find out. And alcoholism, well, that might be a bit more pleasurable, I don't know. <laughs> but not for others, and afterwards you would have hangovers, so... Yeah, and, uh, and then you're just kind of like, what am I... How have I got to this point that those are my three options? Hmm. That was my wake-up call, actually. Hmm. How had I got to that point where I really only thought those were my three options? And I went to see a priest at that point, and he said to me, for goodness sake, I thought he'd pray for me. I thought that might be quite useful if he prayed for me. But he said, <laughs> do, do it for me. I don't want to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, he said, just make an effort to cheer up. If you could stop crying and cheer up, you'd make some friends, and then everything would start to get better because nobody wants to be around a crying, moaning depressed <laughs> and I left in the priest's house thinking is that how priests talk nowadays 
We'd have communion and confession and prayer or something. Like, thank you to him, yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, and then that, that was the very first step of your new life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you move, you change house, you change job. There, there are many, many stories, right, still to tell. Stories afterwards, but I, I made a list on a piece of paper of all the positive things I felt I had, positive qualities. Mm. And I sat in front of this piece of paper with my pen and I couldn't think of anything. That's how low my morale was at that point. I couldn't think of anything to put on that piece of paper. Mm. Finally, I wrote, I'm welcoming. I've always had a welcoming house. So mm. I was thinking, how can I make money through being welcoming? Mm. Okay. I'll start a better breakfast. <laughs> and how I got out of that hole was the gods, the planet, the energy around me. Once I started to bouge my fess, move myself, as French, make my make an effort myself. Mm. All my guests helped me. I had Buddhists pray for me. I had psychologists come really? and stay. So they literally physically arrived to your house. Like yeah. <laughs> I advertised on Airbnb and I put something like single woman, ex-music therapist, violinist, welcomes, musicians, arty people, anyone, especially good cooks, this kind of thing, jokingly. So I then had single women recovering from divorces who thought, wow. oh, he looks like someone I can relate to. Uh, I had people running away from abusive husbands who were telling me their stories and were drinking down the wine together and they're paying me rent and then cooking for me. And I had retired couples come to stay for a few days and then saying, can we move in for six months because we don't want to go back to our country and I'll do the maintenance in your house. My wife will cook. And so I had them for months. Um, I had a run of psychiatrists who taught me about what it's like recovering from living with an autistic man. Mm. I had born again Christians praying for healing of my broken heart. And I don't know. My God, you had kind of... This is amazing. Normally, you know, sign up to, to go to the therapist or go to some retreat. No, I didn't. And literally, they came to you because you said, I am welcoming, so I'm going to make a business out of it. Right. That's simple. Amazing. And, uh, another extraordinary thing that happened was uh, there's a beautiful old building in Iberia, listed building opposite my house in a medieval village in France. And a bilingual... Um, history lecturer came to teach there was a graduate program study abroad of Americans coming over and they taught in English the programs that they would have done in university but in France in French culture and he was bilingual and he moved in to teach the program in a house three or four doors down from me with an out of control teenage daughter now he was American but he also spoke French and I was a single woman and he hadn't come with his wife. So we started to talk and he said, you need French lessons to integrate into the community. 
And because my wife's not here, my teenage daughter is running rings around me. And you've brought up teenage daughters and you know how manipulative, not my, not saying my girls were manipulative, but mm-hmm. you, I've taught teenagers for years. So she, he said, would you take on my daughter and I'll give you French lessons? Hmm. That's a great deal. I hadn't got any money. So he gave me two hours of lessons every day with lots of homework. Really? Yeah. Oh, you wow. didn't know that? No, and, and that's French. super intensive. You would never go for French every day. Yeah, two hours every single day. And then he left his naughty teenage daughter with me. And she and I got on so well because she didn't need to try and manipulate me. Because there was no, uh, she no wasn't going to get anything. Was not going to get anything out of me. I wasn't going to be able to buy her a car, or you know, I just I was like, oh, stop talking like that. Can we just have a nice afternoon and go kayaking down the share? This kind of thing. Mm. So it worked really well, and that's how I learned enough French to then be able to apply for a job in France and run it alongside my bed and breakfast. Mm. That's amazing. And now, um, if we can move to the moment now, you're happy living in a beautiful house in France with the man that he's amazing cook. I think it's important to emphasize because you started that you don't like to cook. So we know your partner cooks amazingly. <laughs> you also decided now to take some more time off from from your regular job right and you already have some another dream to come true i was giving an english lesson to um one of my students who's runs the beaux-arts the arts university near us she's an artist and she runs the art school and she's my age and mm. She said, we found ourselves talking about when we were 30, so your age, a lot in our lessons. We just ramble on talking together in English, falteringly in English with translations where necessary. <laughs> we found ourselves talking a lot about that time and how mm. from 30 to 60 is really a block. It's a block of time. It's can almost put it all together and and then you get to this like third age or whatever get to your 60s and it's like going into your 30s again because you're <sighs> starting something else she's doing the same as me we're both excited mm. to be going into this next stage where we've got more financial security than we had when we were younger less future <laughs> less future kind of obligations like you raised your kids for example during these 30 years right oh a less number of years <laughs> <laughs> to worry about what is going to happen <laughs> yeah 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 and we know that maybe 15 of the next years will be quality and after that it will be talking about you know how we can't get up in the morning and can't bend over <laughs> I hope that will never happen <laughs> And so it's, it's uh, yeah, I do have ideas. I need to try and be a little bit more realistic about them, but yeah, mm-hmm. and see what happens. I'm, I'm really excited I'm for you. Okay. Like, you, you've been so much during last, whole your life, but last 30 with the emphasis of 10 years, 
that it's so amazing to observe you. And now I get to know your story even before I met you, that you came, you arrived to such a happy place, which is in the end within you. And the external world is just showing you. It's just your mirror. Hey, Michelle, you're doing great up there, right? Look at look around you. You look beautiful. I I I, I can see that point of view that people are mirroring your happiness, but I I honestly think it, personally, I think it's something a little bit deeper than that. that mm-hmm. It's the kindness of people when you need help or when you're open. There's a generosity in our beautiful orbit of planet that really is there for us. I come back to this idea that I'm not sure I believe in good and ill, but I definitely believe the core of or of our planet, the sensitive planet we're on, is good. Hmm. I think we can finish with that. Thank you. Thank you.